0: Well, um, hello, Copper Hills. I want to welcome you all here. And to those of you watching online, thank you for tuning in. I pray that this service has been and will continue to be a blessing for you. Um, My name is Dominic, and I'm not one of the pastors here on staff. I am the worship arts tech director, which is just fancy language for saying I hang out with machines that make sure service goes smoothly from behind the scenes. And because I'm probably not the most familiar face to some of you, unless you tuned in a couple weeks ago where me and my friend Tyler Doe got to share his story on hope, I'm going to introduce myself just so I'm not completely some random dude on stage. And I'm not a pastor, so what business do I have being up here? Well, my name's Dominic, like I said, I'm married, my wife's name is Lizzie. We have a five-year-old son, and we have a roughly 17-week-old baby girl growing in her tummy. So we're excited for that, and I'm scared for that, and all the things that come along with being a parent of a second child. Um, Before that, I spent a lot of time in the music industry. I was recording for bands, playing with bands, playing shows, contracting at churches, and spending a lot of time in worship ministry. And even long before that, I was interning at churches in pastoral positions, trying to see what it was like to do what I'm doing right now, stand on stage and uh, try and deliver a message that the Lord put on my heart. And what propelled me into doing that was my schooling. I went to Manhattan Christian College along with Russell, who was up here last weekend. I graduated with a theological arts or theological studies degree. It's a bachelor of arts and a minor in pastoral ministry and counseling. So I have some practice. This isn't necessarily my first rodeo, but I'm attempting to flex a muscle that I have not used in a very long time. So grace with all of this is greatly appreciated. Now, um, we're going through this series about the life, and we're gonna conclude that series this weekend by focusing on the life of purpose that Jesus offers us, the life of purpose that Jesus calls us to, that he brings us, And there's a story. We're going to be going through a parable. Now, this is not a parable in the four Gospels, which means it's not a parable that Jesus spoke. Rather, it's a parable in the Old Testament. And it might not be as popular as the parables that Jesus speaks, because his are pretty great. But this one, when I had read about it, when I had heard someone preach over it, and when I heard these words for the first time, it really helped to redirect my life in a way that I needed to at the time. And it helped me find the sense of purpose and rest in this purpose that the Lord gave for me when I was trying to fit different molds at the time. So if y'all would turn with me to the book of Judges in the ninth chapter, we're going to start at the seventh verse. It's Judges chapter nine, verse seven. And it reads this. When Jotham heard about this, so we have to stop. One, who's Jotham? And two, what did he hear about? So we need a little bit of context because this makes no sense to us more than 2,000 years later. So in Israel's history, there were kings. And before there were kings, there were judges. Judges were basically leaders of Israel. They were commissioned by God to deliver Israel closer to him before kings were established. And one of these judges was a man named Gideon. Some of us may be familiar with who Gideon is. He's pretty famous for his war victories. He was a military leader, he was a prophet, and he was a judge, which is, his story is in here. And he has this story where he was told by the Lord to deliver the Israelites from these people called um, the Midianites. And so he had prepared a large army of over 3,000 men, and the Lord dwindled them down to around 300. And this made no sense at the time, but he had faith that the Lord would be faithful in this. And so Gideon brought his 300 men to the Midianites. And instead of going to war, they lit torches on fire. They made a whole bunch of weird battle cries. They broke some things. And the Midianites ran in retreat, proving that really it was just the Lord and them trusting the Lord and him being faithful to deliver them from this. Some battles later, Israel was freed from the uh, wars that they were stuck in with the Midianites. And Gideon was a reigning ruler with the Israelites. And so Gideon in his life had about 70 wives, which is a lot, right? I mean, then you can look at Solomon who had more, but Gideon, 70 wives. And if that wasn't enough, he had a Shechemite concubine, which is just fancy words for he had a prostitute on the side. And with this prostitute, he had a Shechemite son named Abimelech. And so Gideon grows old and he dies. And now the people of Shechem want a king. And they say, we, we need to figure out who's going to be king. And so Abimelech, the Shechemite's son from the concubine, decides, you know what? I should be king. And to prove myself, I'm going to kill all of my brothers from these 70 different wives that my dad had, except one escapes, Jotham. And so the people of Shechem then decide, hey, you know what? Abimelech proved himself, killed all of his brothers. we got no one else. We're going to decide you should be king. And so now Jotham heard about this, and he has some words to say, which is now where we're at. We're all cut up. We know who Jotham is. We know what he heard about. So when he heard about this, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. Once upon a time, it goes into like this Disney storytelling. Once upon a time. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. First they said to the olive tree, Be our king! But the olive tree refused, saying, Should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the fig tree, you be our king. But the fig tree also refused saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the grapevine, you be our king. But the grapevine also refused saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush, the rightful candidate, right? The thorn bush and said, come, you be our king. And the thornbush replied to the trees, if you truly want to make me your king, come and take shelter in my shade. And if not, let fire come out from me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. It's a beautiful parable, right? May not make a whole lot of sense to us. We can understand somewhat in Jotham's context, he was telling his relatives and the people of Shechem, you basically chose a thorn bush." To be your king. This dude has no right being king, and by doing so, he's gonna cause a lot of pain and damage to those around him. And within that context, that makes sense, but I think this parable speaks a lot more than just who we would choose to be our king. There's three different trees in this story, and what's beautiful is that they are all made to do something unique. Sure, they're all trees, but they were made to do something with a purpose that was different from one another. So we look at the first tree, the olive tree. The olive tree produces olives, sweet. Olives then can get turned into olive oil. Now, if you didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to you, but olive oil is used for something called anointing. It's basically God's approval over what you're doing. And so the olive tree had a purpose. I'm making olive oil that's used to anoint people and to bless people. So the temptation to become king might've been Somewhat tempting, but the olive tree knew. I have a purpose that runs deep throughout scripture and deep throughout the rest of history. Because if the olive tree chose to become king, every Pentecostal church around the world would be out of business. They'd have no olive oil. Thanks, (laughs) much. Then the tree's all right. Olive oil, olive tree's out. We're gonna go to the fig tree. How many of you love figs? Just eat them for fun. Like handful of people. Fig tree's not a popular dude. It's got nothing on the apple tree, nothing on the orange tree, even a lemon tree. It's not very popular. My family, we love figs. We eat fig bars. That's really about it. So the fig tree, you can find it in a Newton, in a fig bar. And around Christmas time, it shows up a little bit for festivities, but that's it. Wasn't the cool kid on the block. So becoming king would have been a big step up for the fig tree, but still it knew I have a purpose. I'm producing sweet fruit that God and people love despite the fact that Jesus curses a fig tree in the gospels, but we won't talk about that. So it chose not to become king. It knew that it had a purpose more important than the popularity and the power of being king. So the land they go to the grapevine. Grapevine might be a popular tree for some of you. The grapevine produces grapes, which then get turned into wine. Jesus's first miracle, water into wine. So the grapevine would have been a great candidate for king. Would have been a great tree. It already had popularity. It already had some power. And so instead of choosing power over purpose, it said, you know what? I'm producing grapes. I'm producing wine. It cheers God and people enjoy me. I have a purpose. And then finally, they go to the thorn bush. Thorn bush, really, there's nothing a lot, there's not much to say about a thorn bush. If you're going like on a picnic, you're not gonna tell your, Sweetie, hey, let's go sit by the thorn bush, right? It looks nice and cozy over here. And you're not seeking shade under a thornbush because really it's not even a tree. It's like, you gotta like crawl under the thorn bush. The thornbush decided to take a position that it was not suited for. Thornbush really didn't have much purpose to begin with, but it tried to fit itself in a position that it was not called to. And by doing so, spoke this ridiculous condition of people have to come under me, seek shade, and if you don't, hopefully fires come out of me and turn you all into ash. These trees all had purpose. And so imagine yourself as one of these trees, right? We are all purpose with something. The Lord has given us something. We are called to do something. And so I think really there are two things that help us understand purpose as a whole. These two things being one, a calling, and two, bearing fruit with that calling. A calling really can be like as simply described as what is the Lord calling you to? You can look at maybe your gifts, look at your skills and look at your talents. What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? Maybe the Lord is calling you to use your gifts. Better yet, sometimes the Lord likes to call us to do things that are uncomfortable. We can look back at Gideon. Gideon had a huge army ready for this war and God told him, nope, 300. You're gonna be outnumbered. It's not a very confident place to be in. Yet the Lord delivered and was faithful. Having a calling could also be described as, what is your grace? I've been told this way, what is your grace? Is there a people group? Is there a social justice issue? Is there... An oppression? Is there some type of issue that you have a grace for? That you have a passion for? That you have a heart for? That could also be something that the Lord is calling you to. Jesus, in fact, had a calling. It wasn't just to show up and be Jesus and then die and do his job. He had a calling. There's a story in Luke 4 where Jesus is in the synagogue, somewhat similar to this, probably not the same building, but Jesus is in a synagogue and they're reading from a scroll and he gets invited to come up and read. And so Jesus comes up, and they're reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Specifically, there's this passage in Isaiah that is describing what the Son of Man will come to do. And so Jesus is basically reading about himself. Isaiah says the Son of Man will come to bring good news to the poor, proclaim that captives will be released, give sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, and bring the Lord's favor. If you read through all four of the Gospels, you can categorize every single thing Jesus does in one of those five categories. Jesus had a calling, and he also was tempted to be king at some point. There's a story later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, where he performs these miracles, and the people around him say, hey, surely this is the prophet that was promised to us. Surely you're the Messiah, so why don't you come and be our king? It would have worked, right? Jesus was the only person who could be king. He was the only one suited to be king, and instead— He ran away, went into the mountains and escaped the temptation to be king. That wasn't his calling. Jesus wasn't called to come and be king through the conventional method of being elected king. He was called to do those five things and eventually die and become king through overcoming death. So God is calling us all to something. We are called to something. I can't specifically tell you what you're called to. I don't know you you can look at what you're good at. Look at your gifts. Look at your skills. Look at your talents. What is your grace? What is your passion? And that can begin the journey of figuring out what your calling is. And now using that calling to honor the Lord, to serve people, is bearing fruit. We're keeping in line with the tree theme. Get it? There's all the three trees and we're bearing fruit. Whatever. Using our gifts to serve and love people. There it is, see? Using our gifts to love and serve people is bearing fruit. Some would say, again, keeping up with the tree theme, the olive tree, some would say that's an anointing. You have God's approval over your calling and what you're doing to honor him. And we can choose to be like the thorn bush. We might be tempted to do other things or tempted to use our gifts, our skills, our talents to give ourselves glory. And then in the process, we would be damaging those around us. We would not be bearing fruit. The Lord might even take his gifts back or take his anointing back. We have been given a purpose that only the Lord can use us for. We have a calling, and when we love and serve those around us and use that calling to glorify the Lord, we are bearing fruit. Now, I could just finish there. Purpose is a calling and bearing fruit. I think purpose and and understanding our purpose is, is a little difficult for me to give to you because I don't know you. We have a creative God who had has created us all individually and uniquely. And we are all called to something different. Sure, there might be some middle ground where we're doing the same thing as someone else, but we are called to do something. And because we are uniquely made and we are individuals, we get to do that in a way that is unique to us. And so rather than telling you what your purpose is, I believe that there are things that are pulling us away from living a life of purpose, from living this life of purpose that Jesus calls us to. If we look back at the parable, and we can look back at the story in Luke with Jesus, who was it that was trying to pull the trees away from what they were purposed to do? The other trees. I believe who and what we allow to influence us can pull us away from living a life of purpose, from living out the calling that the Lord has put on our hearts. We can be influenced to use our gifts selfishly, and in turn, we won't be bearing fruit. And it's a pretty exhausting life to live. We we can be influenced to fill a position that we are not called to fill, like the thorn bush. And in the process, we might be doing more damage than good to those around us. One thing I think the enemy loves to use that is easily accessible to all of us, is comparison. These trees all had a unique purpose. They were all trees, but they all were doing their own thing. The fig tree of all of them. The grapevine, more popular. Olive tree, more popular. So the fig tree could have compared, and the apple trees used all year round. The orange trees used all year round. Orange juice and whatnot. But the fig tree chose to produce figs. The grapevine chose to produce wine. The olive tree chose to produce olives. When we look and compare ourselves to those around us, we can rob ourselves of the purpose that Jesus is calling us to. And it can come in so many forms, it can come in social media from friends, from strangers, from our peers, from entertainment, from culture, from whatever the status quo is. When we allow something and someone else other than the Holy Spirit to influence us, we can become like the thorn bush. We'll start to live a life for selfish gain, focus on bringing ourselves glory rather than the Lord. I'd mentioned that I went to Bible college and in doing so, I felt like my calling was to do what I'm doing right now that I should be preaching, that I should be a pastor. And um, I spent most of my time on social media, looking at what all my friends were doing and looking at what people around me were doing. What are other pastors doing? What are other people doing? And this dude that I graduated with is preaching in front of this many people. And this person that I graduated with is at this church with this size. So I need to compete. I need to try and keep up with them. I need to do what I feel like I should be doing. And in the process, I started to enjoy being on stage, I liked having people look at me, I I was living a life that was focused solely on my glory. And when I spent my time doing this pastor thing, I was damaging myself. And I was hurting some people around me in the process. And it took a lot of heart work and heart surgery and conversations with the Spirit to realize that I was trying to fit a role that I wasn't called to do. I was too busy comparing. I was falling prey to this tool that the enemy wants to use. And when we compare, and if we try and fit these molds, we're just going to produce these versions of other people. But like I said, God is creative. We are all unique. We are all individuals. We're not supposed to be someone else. The Lord doesn't want you to be someone else. The Lord doesn't want you to compare and compete with those around you. He wants you to be you. Something that really hit me when I had spent time studying this and and trying to figure out what the Lord put on my heart. The Holy Spirit only has us for a, a short span in time throughout all of eternity on this earth to express Himself through. We have this window of time while we exist. And there's no other uniquely made you on this earth. No one has had your past. No one has had your brokenness. No one has had your trauma. No one has had your hurt, your pain, your upbringing, your parents. There is no other uniquely made you in all the universe. And so when the Holy Spirit is operating through you, he gets to express himself in a way that he never could before you and he never will after you. Don't rob me. Don't rob us, the church. Don't rob the spirit of you because we're too busy trying to be a cheap them. Our purpose is not to be carbon copies. Our purpose is not to replicate what other people are doing. Our purpose is not to compete. Our purpose is to give glory to our Father. And because we're all different, we get to do that the way that he wants to through us, based off of who we are. We are creative individuals. Our God is a creative God. And he can only do what he wants to do through you during this span of time. He never could do it before you and he can never do it the same way after you. Sure, there's other youth pastors, there's other workers, there's other CEOs, there's other businessmen. But you are you. God made you, you for a reason. There is a certain person that only you can speak to, that only He can speak through you to them. There is a certain ministry that He can use you to minister to because of who you are. Not because of who you're trying to be, but because of who you are. And we can spend our time competing and running in circles, and it is exhausting. You have a calling and you can bear fruit with that calling. The church deserves to have you be you because the spirit can only express you uniquely through you. There's a verse in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, where Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You are a masterpiece. I may not know you personally. I may not be able to tell you this is your purpose. You're called to this. You're good at this, this, and this, and this is uncomfortable for you. You should go do this. That requires some time with the spirit. That requires some time with the Lord. But I can tell you that you are you for a reason. God can only use you while you are here. And the enemy will do everything he can to pull you away from that purpose. He will want to create carbon copies of other people in competition with one another. Because when we're trying to be someone else, we're not who the Lord created us to be. When we use our gifts, our skills, our talents to love and serve his people and to give glory to the Father, we are living a life of purpose. Don't rob us of you. To be achieved, them. Let the Spirit operate through you the way He planned to, because that's more beautiful than anything else. And I believe that is what living a life of purpose is. Would you all pray with me? Father, you are a wondrous God. You are creative and you are intentional. And we as your children are in awe of who you are and who you made us to be. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would not spend our time competing, comparing, and trying to be something you did not intend for us to be but that we would allow you and your spirit to operate through us the way that only you can, to love and serve those around us, to minister to the broken. And Lord, in all that we do, may we bear fruit. May we allow you to work through us, to strengthen us, to make us more like your son Lord, I thank you for who you are and who you made me to be. I thank you for who you made all of us to be. And I pray, Father, that we would honor and glorify you with everything that we say, with everything that we do. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.